The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. Well, this, this morning, we are talking about church baggage and what to do with it. And I, I'll be honest, I'm not sure there's ever been a sermon that I've been both so eager to preach on the one hand and so hesitant to preach on the other. I'm, I'm eager to preach it because I, I know that so many of you in our body have this baggage. And I, I'm eager I'm eager for you to experience healing. I'm hesitant because this is a, a field littered with landmines. I don't want to lose a limb today. I'm eager because I have my own wounds. And I need gospel hope and healing as much as anyone. I'm, I'm hesitant because I know that in the, the number of years that I've been in ministry, in pastoral ministry... I've been the source of some of your wounds. But at Two Pillars Church, we, we try our best not to steer away from difficult topics, from difficult dis- discussions. One of our core values is that we embrace the mess. And if, if, there's a, if there's a topic that is messier than this, I'm, I'm not sure what it is right now. Um, and so, so here we go. One quick note before... Uh, I get too far, though. For the, for the past year or so, I've been taking classes through a ministry called Crosspoint. The classes I've been taking, it's, it's called the Soul Care Institute. And I've been helped significantly on this topic and in through my studies there. And so I want to be careful to point this out. Though I, I don't have, like, direct quotes from that literature today. And I, I don't have direct quotes from my class materials necessarily. Much of what I'll be talking about today draws upon what I've been learning there and the discussions we've been having. So I just want to be, just want to be clear about where much of, this, um, much of this thought has come from. Now, uh, some of you, especially those of you who have relatively little church baggage, if, if any at all, might be wondering what I mean by church baggage in the first place. And then there's another group of people in the room who know exactly what I'm talking about. Because you've lived church baggage. You, you brought it with you today. Right? And, and perhaps your mind is being flooded already with memories from past experiences in past churches. Maybe even experiences in this church. Some of you might even be fighting the urge to, to get up and, and walk out of the sanctuary right now. Church baggage. We're talking about unresolved conflict. Backstabbing. Stories of, of, of hurtful words. We're talking about a simple misunderstanding that just kind of snowballed and got out of hand or out of, out of control. We're talking about hurtful experiences with, with church people, divisions and factions and, and cliques and nasty church politics. We're talking about legalistic church culture. We're talking about harmful teaching that has shaped you in a deformative way. I'm, I'm talking about domineering leadership. I'm, I'm talking about at worst, and look, some of us 
have experienced this. I'm, I'm talking about, at worst, abuse. Abuse of all kinds. Suffered not out there, but in here, in the church. As one person explained to me, church baggage tells us that people aren't safe. Church baggage tells us the church is going to hurt you. And it's backed up my personal experience. So here, here's what I want to do. First of all, let's define baggage. What, what do I mean by baggage? Here, here is my definition of baggage. This is not clinical. This is from my head. Um, baggage. Baggage consists of wounds that haven't been tended to in a healthy manner. We're talking about untended wounds here. And what happens when we don't tend to a wound properly? What doesn't happen? It doesn't heal, does it? Or if it does heal, it, it heals improperly. It could lead to a, a festering and infected wound, which, which means that that wound is something you carry around long term, right? You, you never get away from it because it, it never heals. And look, a lot could be said today. There's all kinds of stuff I want to say today, right? And there's all kinds of stuff that I think the scriptures have to say today. We have a limited amount of time, and so um, we won't have time to address healing of church wounds in, in depth. But what I want to do today is give us some first steps, some, some steps in the direction of healing. And so what we're going to do, first of all, we're going to look at our passage briefly in Ephesians 2. And then I want to ask three questions. First question is this, where do wounds happen? Where do wounds happen? The second question is, how do wounds become baggage? <laughs> how, does that, how does that transition happen? And then the, the third question is, where does healing happen? So where do wounds happen? How do they become baggage? And then thirdly, where does healing happen? And so let, let's build a foundation here in Ephesians 2, first of all. Now, what Paul has been doing up to this point in the book of Ephesians is fleshing out the glorious truth of the gospel, right? So he's telling the Ephesian church what Jesus has done for them and who they are because of what Jesus has done. He's saying things like, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, He's reminding the Ephesian Christians that they have been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, predestined for adoption as sons. He's telling them that, that they've been forgiven in him, that, that they, in Christ, they've obtained an inheritance, an inheritance that has been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And then we get to chapter 2 and the, the verses immediately preceding our passage. Paul tells the Ephesians who they once were. They were once dead in their sins, but now they've been made alive together with Christ. They were once children of wrath. They were once enemies of God. All of this is true of, of all of us who believe in Jesus here today. This is who we were before Christ breathed life into our hearts. We were 
children of wrath, enemies of God, dead in our sins. But now, he tells them, you've been saved, you've been raised with Christ. And not just that, but he reminds them that they've been seated with Jesus in the heavenly places. He's, he's fleshing out the truths of the gospel and the truth, the truths of our union with Christ. After all of that, then, we get to verse 8 of our passage. And, 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 and Paul says, for grace you have been saved through faith. He reminds them, this isn't something that you've done. It's a gift of God, not the result of your work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then this leads us to verse 11. A verse that begins with two words, therefore, remember. Therefore, in light of everything I've unpacked for you already, Ephesians, remember. In light of everything that God has done in Christ, remember. And, and when he says remember, he, he's not necessarily saying remember because they've forgotten something. Instead, He wants them to consider who they were and where they were before Christ in order to magnify the, 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 the bigness, the greatness, the, the magnitude of who they are now. So in essence, what Paul is, is saying here is remember where you came from. Remember your sinful roots. Remember who you were before your union with Christ. And allow that to put into perspective who you are now. And so where did the Ephesians come from? Who were they? Well, he's, he's writing to a Gentile church. What, what that means is he's writing to a, a non-Jewish church, non-Jewish believers. And Paul reminds them that they were once both separated, uh, they, they were once separated both from Jesus both from, from God himself and from God's chosen people. This is who the Gentiles were. They, they weren't a part of the people of God. They were separated from the people of God, and they were separated from God himself by their sin. And as such, they were without hope. As such, they were alienated. As such, they were strangers to the promises of God. Not only were they not a part of God's people, but there was, there was even a, a, a real sense of, of hatred and hostility between God's people, the Jews, and the non-Jew Gentiles. So where the, where the Gentiles found themselves before Christ was in this kind of double alienation situation. Alienated both from God and from the people of God. And as commentator John Stott concludes here, he, he, he says this, that the grand theme of Ephesians 2 is that Jesus Christ has destroyed both enmities. He's destroyed both. They were alienated in a double sense, and they've been reconciled in a double sense as well. You see, not, not only has Jesus reconciled sinners to a holy God, and he's done that. He's done certainly no less than that, but he's done so much more than that as well. He's reconciled Jew and Gentile. He's reconciled insider and outsider. He's reconciled enemy with enemy. And look, it goes further than, than mere peace. 
You see, Jesus didn't just reconcile Jew and Gentile, sinner with sinner, in the sense that he made peace between the two. He goes further than that. Look at verse 15 and 16. These verses say that, Paul writes, that that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. It might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. You see, what he did is not just reconcile two parties with one another, creating peace, but out of two, he made one. You see, Jew has been united together with Gentile. And so for the Gentile, for you And me, sitting here today, that means that there's not just an offer of peace with God's people. It means that we are God's people. Right? Not just a a reconciliation with the people of God. There's a, a becoming of the people of God. And God's people are one. Verse 19, Paul gives us a helpful picture. In contrast to strangers and aliens, he says that the Ephesians are members of the household of God. That they're part of God's family, as we've seen in past weeks. They're the, the called out together ones. The most intimate and tangible expression of this oneness the most intimate and tangible expression of this unity is right here in the local church body where God's people are called to embody and reflect this unity. That's the foundation. That that then brings us to our first question. And the first question is, where do wounds happen? And the easy Answer that the, the simple answer is that this is where wounds happen. Wounds happen in this very body that, that Paul is talking about in Ephesians 2. This is where wounds happen. Wounds happen in the church. Yeah, sure, they happen outside of the church as well, but. For our purposes today, we have to acknowledge this this is where church wounds happen. They happen in the church. They happen in the household of God. And I think this gives us some insight into why these wounds are both so common on the one hand and so painful on the other. You see that the church, this church, the, the church that you grew up in, it's it's a family. At least it's intended to be. It might be dysfunctional, but but it's a family nevertheless. And in a family, there is relationship and relational intimacy. Now look, on the one hand, relational intimacy is, is beautiful. And it's what we're called to as God's people. But on the other hand, relational intimacy can also seem kind of dangerous, can't it? That's for at least a couple of reasons. First of all, where there is relationship, there is conflict. Full stop. 
Where there is relationship, there is conflict. James writes about this in chapter 4 of his letter. He writes, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You you see, while we've been rescued from the power and the penalty of sin, its presence hasn't been eradicated from our presence. And its, its uh, its, its presence hasn't been eradicated from our lives. So then, while we're a, we're a redeemed people, indwelt by the, the very Spirit of God Himself, the reality is, is that we, we still sin. Now, I know this is a simple observation, but it's one that needs to be made. We still have sinful, fleshly passions that wage war in us. Not only that, but we live in a broken, fallen world. And as a household of God, we're not inoculated against the world's brokenness. And this is going to contribute to the complexity as well. COVID is a a perfect example of this. Three years ago, guess what we weren't having disagreements about? Masks, for example. I think we were enjoying a lot of unity around this topic. And now look at us. In part, this is the passions that are waging war in us, yes, but it's, it's also the brokenness of the world that invades the room and invades the household. And look, this is going to lead to conflict, which is going to lead to wounds. It's just going to. In fact, I would go so far as to say that conflict is inevitable and shouldn't surprise us when it arises. Again, this is the reality of of life in a fallen world. Look, this this doesn't mean we have to excuse sin. This doesn't mean that we excuse sin at all. But to have expectations to the contrary, assuming that Christians and the church are somehow above conflict, is to have unrealistic uh, um, expectations. And, And let me say that these unrealistic expectations, if you heap it on the heads of your brothers and sisters around you, you're going to crush them. Let's, for example, let's take marriage, one of the most intimate of human relationships. Take my wife, Kaylee, and me. I, I have, disclosure moment, I have more conflict with my wife than anyone else on the face of the earth. Like, that's just, that's a fact. I have more conflict with Kaylee than anyone else in the world. Does this mean our marriage is on the rocks? It could. I I assure you that that's not where we are right now. But this isn't necessarily a sign of an unhealthy marriage. That's because this is going to be true of even the most healthy marriages. Because where there is relationship, there is conflict. Secondly, Where there is relationship, there is pain. When we're in relationship, especially intimate relationship with another person, conflict causes pain. It's harder to just kind of 
dust off your shoulders. Unmet expectations, they cause pain. In relationship, neglect, it causes pain. In relationship, even mistakes that, that were made you know, not on purpose, that they cause pain. And oftentimes, the more intimate the relationship, the more the, the, the deeper the relationship, the, the deeper and more painful the pain becomes. Let's use marriage as an illustration again. Uh, one of the most, we talked about this in premarital counseling when we do this all the time. One of the most incredible things about marriage, I think, is the beauty of knowing and being known. Right? And so uh, uh, no one in the world knows me as intimately as my wife knows me. No one knows my wife more intimately than I know her. And that, that's a, a beautiful beautiful place to be. It's also a really vulnerable place to be, isn't it? And if you're married, you you know that there's a sense of quote-unquote danger here. Because while no one knows me as well as my wife, no one can cause the kind of pain in my life and in my soul that my wife can cause. And that goes both ways. No one can hurt me as deeply as Kaylee can. No one can hurt Kaylee as deeply as as I can. Simple um, hypothetical scenario will we'll illustrate this for us. If I'm uh, driving down the street and I cut someone off and the person shouts out their window, you're pathetic, man. If that's the thing that people shout when they get cut off in traffic. <laughs> Let's keep a PG. Look, Two or three blocks down the road, I probably shook that one off, right? But if my wife looks at me in my eyes and says, you're a pathetic man. Same words. Completely different result. Where there is relationship, there is pain. And so where do wounds happen? They happen in the context of relationship, even relationship in the household of God. It's unavoidable. And it makes this place feel dangerous at times, especially if we've been hurt in the past. And yet, we were created to be here, to be in relationship in the household of God. And the fact that wounds happen here doesn't make the church a bad place. It doesn't make the church a bad people. And so now we've done a little bit of work making a distinction between wounds and baggage. Up to this point, we've been talking about wounds. Where do wounds happen? They happen in relationship. They happen in the context of the church. The, the, The next question then that we arrive at is this. How do these wounds become baggage? And I think it's worth mentioning here that it's not inevitable that wounds, even church wounds, become baggage. This is not an inevitable kind of progression from point A to point B. Remember, I define baggage as wounds that haven't been tended to in a healthy manner. And so wounds are inevitable, 
baggage is not. And yet, baggage is really common, isn't it? Almost as common as our wounds. What's the difference then? How do these wounds become baggage? Well, wounds become baggage when, instead of giving ourselves to the process of healing, we give ourselves to self-preservation. We take matters into our own hands, and we have all kinds of self-preservation strategies that kick in. Sometimes they kick in knowingly. Sometimes they kick in unknowingly. And look, I want to be really clear. In the moment... Sometimes these self-preservation strategies serve a very real purpose. But here's the thing, they hang around. And today's self-preservation strategy becomes tomorrow's prison. They remain over time as we purpose never to be wounded like that again. Two words, never again. I'll never trust like that again. I will never make myself vulnerable like that again. I'll never count on anyone like I counted on that person again. I'll never submit myself to spiritual authority, never again. And when we do this, we neglect to address our wound in a healthy way. You, you see, we oftentimes neglect the healing process altogether, leaving the wound unhealed, improperly healed, festering. Instead, we focus on not being wounded again, avoidance of future wounds, as opposed to the healing of the present. And so the wound and the pain, they just they follow us around, affecting us everywhere we go. In every relationship we have, and this, this happens in the church all the time. It affects how we feel about the church in general. It affects how we relate with one another. It affects how we feel about and interact with leadership and authority in the church. And look, we have to be honest. At times, it causes people to leave the church altogether. And so what do I mean by self-preservation? We have all kinds of strategies. I have a list for us. It's not exhaustive. It's a pretty good list, though. Anger and aggression. I've been told that the best defense is a good offense. Right? And so my anger serves as a defense mechanism. We go on the offense. I'm, I'm aggressive passively or actively. Maybe it's the opposite of that, a, a, a defensiveness. Always on guard. Always locked and loaded, waiting for someone to hurt you. Waiting to dodge left or right. At one point, as, as one person explained to me, it's, it's like I see ghosts. Withdraw. It's just backing away from it all. Look, you're here. You're here right now. Maybe you attend your gospel community, but you're not really here. And so you've, you've isolated yourself, isolated yourself from relationship, from relational intimacy. Why? Because, because again, people aren't safe. So you create distance. 
Cynicism is a self-preservation strategy. This is my strategy of, of choice. If I just lower my expectations for everyone around me, if I make the assumption that they're going to hurt me before they actually do, then maybe it won't hurt so bad. And I won't be so disappointed. So we grow cynical and skeptic. We become skeptic. Avoidance. Just avoid relationship or the church altogether. Manipulation. Oftentimes we manipulate through unrealistic expectations. If I set realistic expectations for others around me, then they're bound to fail, thereby reinforcing my pain in my baggage to begin with, right? Like it, it, it just, it, it reinforces the reason for my avoidance of relationships and, and it's, a, it's a nasty cycle. Addiction. Addiction is a self-preservation strategy. Addiction to substance or to shopping or to pornography, whatever it is, it's a, it's a, a way that we numb ourselves in an effort to escape the pain of our wounds. And then lastly, um, projection. We project past hurts and past sins upon present relationships. We project the wounds from our last church to the wounds of our, our current church. Every church leader is like that church leader. Or, you know, fill in the blank. And it unfairly colors or influences your perception of the current moment. Now, what, what do all these self-preservation strategies have in common? Well, very often, our self-preservation, instead of driving us into deeper relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, it pulls us away from relationship with God's people. We push people away. We erect walls, we write people off, we grow callous and cynical and overly critical. Listen to this. This is what we saw in Ephesians 2. The gospel, the gospel takes strangers and aliens who were once far off from God and far off from one another, far off from his people, and makes them fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. The gospel takes those who are far and brings them near. Our self-preservation strategies, on the other hand, make us strangers and aliens once again. That's what they threaten to do. Instead of drawing us closer to one another, they, they push us further away. They, they tell us that the safest place to be is, is, is far off. That wasn't such a bad thing, actually. That's a place where you'll never be hurt or betrayed or walked over or forgotten or disappointed or let down again. And look, while there might be a kernel of truth in that, I want to be really honest about that. 
There's a kernel of, of truth in that. But there is a sense in which distance is, is quote-unquote safe. The thing is, is you'll never really heal there either. Your wounds, your baggage, they'll follow you wherever you go. You'll never heal. You'll never thrive. That's because the Lord didn't save you so that you could be far off. He saved you to draw you into relationship both with himself and with his people. He saved you to draw you into close proximity to himself and to his body. So this is church baggage. Our church baggage is our self-preservation strategies that, that push us implicitly or explicitly, farther away from the body around us, sometimes farther away from God himself. And look, maybe you have some of this. Maybe you're nodding your head. You're like, I think I have a little bit of that. Some of you are saying, I've got loads of it. Maybe you look at the list of self-preservation strategies and say, yeah, that, that's me. That, that's my strategy. I, I, I know it already. Or maybe you can articulate a specific time or situation in, in which you were wounded. Here's what I want to do this morning. This is really my end. This is really my goal. I just want to invite you not to settle for self-preservation. I don't... I want to invite you to walk a path of healing. That's, that's what I, I want to do. I, I want to invite you to experience true gospel healing. The, the question, though, is where does this happen? Where does this happen? That brings us back to the book of Ephesians. First to our passage from this morning that Marty read for us, starting in verse 19. Notice the metaphor that Paul uses here. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple. That's a metaphor. The people of God are being built together into a structure, a, a holy temple in the Lord. In him, Ephesians, in him, two pillars, church, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. A couple of chapters later, Paul says something very similar, but he changes the metaphor. Changes the metaphor from a, a temple to, to the body. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, rather, speaking the truth in love. By the way, another one of our, our core values here is that we speak the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is ahead into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Again, this, this is the Lord's design for his people, the, the togetherness. Unity, oneness 
And it's reflected in the metaphors that we see here. It's, it's a, a present reality. It, it's something that has happened and is also happening. We're, we're being built up. We're being built together. And, and it's, it's reflected in the metaphors for the church that we see in the scriptures. In particular, here, in the context of Ephesians, these two, the, a temple, a dwelling place for God, being built up, built together, or a body with Christ as its head, joined, held together, building itself up in truth and love. Implied in both of these metaphors is number one, intimate relationship with, closeness with the Lord. And intimate relationship with, closeness with the people of God. The momentum of the gospel, even when we're wounded, is always to draw us back into Christian relationship and community in the church. This is the momentum of the gospel. It's always pulling us inward. Why? Because it's, it's in this context that we grow. It's in this context that we're built up. Again, in truth and love. It's in this context that we heal. It's in this context that our brothers, um, that, that our, our, our brothers and sisters can surround us and love us and help to bear our burdens and, and walk with us. And look, there there are countless examples of this momentum, this together momentum, this momentum towards relationship in the church. Suffering and affliction. Paul writes in his second letter to the Corinthians, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction. Listen to this. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with what? The comfort that we, which we ourselves are comforted by God. Look, this is the way that the God of all comfort comforts his people. He comforts one, and then with that very same comfort, that person goes over here and, and, and shares the comfort from the, from the God of all comfort with them. And so in our suffering and in our affliction, where are we going to find comfort but in the body of Christ? This is how the God of all comfort works. When we're experiencing burdens. Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Are you experiencing burdens? The gospel draws you into relationship with your church family who are then called to come alongside you and to help bear these burdens. Let's talk about confessing sin. James says, therefore, confess your sins to who? Just to God. No, he says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Why? That you may be healed. In the midst of conflict, The biblical picture of conflict resolution is a picture of both parties, the offending party, the offended party, running to one another, seeking reconciliation with one another. So the responsibility to to be drawn back to the person, my brother or sister in Christ, with whom I'm experiencing conflict, the burden to to be pulled back to relationship for for resolution of, of that conflict rests on both parties. See this in Matthew 5 and Matthew 18. You see, even in the midst of conflict, the momentum of the gospel draws us toward one another. 
And look, how much of our baggage that we're carrying around has to do with this point in particular? Both parties running away from one another. Or one party running towards the other party seeking reconciliation while while the other party runs the other direction. Look, even even church discipline taken to its final uh, step of excommunication, we see in 2 Corinthians 5, even in church discipline, the desired end of this discipline is restoration. Restoration to fellowship with the body. The momentum of the gospel, even when we've been wounded, is always to draw us back in a Christian relationship and community in the body. You see, the, the grace of God, it invites us to unpack our church baggage right here in the church. Because it's, it's here in the church that we worship a Savior who has wounded himself. And by his wounds, we've been healed. You see, it's, it's here in the church that we worship a Savior who is rejected and despised by men and suffered disgrace for us on the cross. You see, this is where we worship a Savior who, who heals with the power of the gospel by the work of His Holy Spirit in and through the lives of His people. This is where our brothers and sisters patiently and gently but imperfectly speak the truth in love to one another. This is where we learn to trust again. This is where we learn slowly over time to relinquish our self-preservation strategies. And look, I'll admit that what I'm calling you to here, especially if you've been wounded in the past, especially if you've been wounded here in the past, what I'm calling you to feels, probably feels really risky. And look, I, I can't promise you're never going to be wounded again. I, I can't promise that someone here, e- even myself, isn't going to inflict another wound. But here's the hope that we have as a people of God. The church isn't just the place where wounds happen, brothers and sisters. The church is a place where healing happens. And so, look, if you have church baggage from past churches, if you've been hurt, I just want to say, I'm I'm so sorry. I want to invite you to see this place as a place of healing. If if you're new, if this is your first Sunday, might be an awkward Sunday to make the first Sunday. But if you've come with church baggage, hey, would you consider unpacking and staying a while? And look, if if you have baggage from, from this church, I'm so sorry you were hurt. I want to invite you to see this place not just a place of not just as a place of wounding, but as a place of healing as well. And Lord willing, we can be healed together. Lord willing, we can grow and mature together in the process, walking out repentance when and where it's needed. Five really quick points of application to take with you. And I'm going to go collect myself. Um, if you've got some baggage today, five, five quick things. Number one, 
Acknowledge the pain of your wounds. Just acknowledge the pain. Pain hurts. And look, you you can't repent of wounds. But you can own them. To own your wound is to own your loss. To own a wound is to acknowledge the pain. Oftentimes, that's, that's where healing starts. I just have to acknowledge that I have, an open, <laughs> I, have an, I have an open gash that needs attention. Number two, be on the lookout for your self-preservation strategies. Those things that, that cause you to, to stand at a distance to keep people at, at an arm's length. Maybe ask someone else to be on the lookout for them as well. Thirdly, take a small step towards deeper relationship in our body. I'm saying like start with a person, one person, and just trust a little bit more, take it a little bit deeper. That can be a pastor. I'm happy to walk that path with you, Pastor Todd, Pastor Craig, Pastor Ben. It could be someone in your GC or a GC leader. It could be someone who has a similar story as you. One caveat here that needs to be made, what I am not saying is that that person um, in, the, in the instance of abuse needs to be the abuser, right? I want to just, that, that needs to be said. <laughs> um, but, but take a, a small step towards deeper relationship in our body. It, it doesn't necessarily need to be initially right away the, the person who's caused the wounding. Uh, fourthly, tell the story. Tell the story. T- tell the story of your church wounds. Just unpack it. And let someone listen. And, and look, if, if someone has chosen you and they're unpacking their story for you, let me just encourage you, will you listen well? Honor and steward their story. They're inviting you into the story of their pain and that's significant. And so, steward that well, be patient, and when it's time, speak gospel truth and love. Lastly, healing is going to take time. Healing is a thing that we can't rush. I'm talking like, for some of us, it, it could take years. Years of relationship, years of trusting, years of being built up in truth and love. And look, by God's grace, as our relational wounds heal, what does a wound become when it heals? It becomes a scar. We typically talk about scars with a negative connotation, don't we? It's like, oh, I walked into the room and saw something I didn't see, and I've been scarred for life, right? Um, so it, it has, a negative, has a negative connotation. But look, I think scars, I think scars can be beautiful. Because look, number one, scars... They don't hurt like they used to anymore. But they aren't gone either. That's because scars, they, they become a part of our story, which has been swept up into God's story. And we, we worship a God who makes beauty from ashes. He can make beauty from our scars too. And so then, our, our scars become a story of pain on the one hand and a story of his healing on the other. They become a story of sin and a story of forgiveness. They become a testimony 
to the healing grace of God. Father, I'm grateful for my my brothers and sisters uh, here. And Lord, that we get to navigate this path of, of acknowledging our church baggage and our wounds and walking the path of healing. Father, will you draw us into closer relationship, closer proximity to you and to one another by your grace and the power of your spirit that resides in us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.